like raising more and more questions for me. Like the deeper I got into that data, the more I was like, yeah. what's going on over here? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 167 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday, the 20th of May. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. Just a quick warning, I do swear this week. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but I started this podcast to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from tech to CMO with the help of some true rock stars, my guests and chums, old and new, that I've met along the way. You can find links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our street knowledge blog. And please get in touch if we can inspire your inner rock star. This week, Jeff Clark and I take a trip to the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. I get a backstage pass to CMSY's State of the CMO report with their VP of Research, Sarah Kimmel. And I wind down the week with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our weekly dose of marketing street knowledge from our resident rockstar CMO, strategy advisor, and former Forrester Research Director. Welcome, Ian Truscott, to the Rockstar <laughs> Swimming Pool. <laughs> I think we should have rehearsed that. I think yeah, really? aren't you, you're, you're welcoming me to the studio to talk I know, about but we're, swimming pool. But because or? we're talking about swimming pool topics, yes. that I, ah. I figured we'd go outside. Yes. Hang yes, out no, by the pool idea. as opposed to in the studio. <laughs> you know, when the sun's out and you're in the studio, it's... I don't know. I just want to get outside. <laughs> I don't know. Should I leave this in or should we restart? Oh, let's leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, I'm glad to be here by the pool with you. The weather is beautiful there in Massachusetts, as it is here, it, right? Absolutely. We're uh, mm. across both sides of the pond. The sun is out. Yes. In the middle, so it might just... be might be cloudy in Iceland. But <laughs> but just to explain, uh, as uh, regular listeners know, we have a regular feature on the podcast called the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool. What is it? It's our portal to hell to where we throw all the bullshit snake oil and things that plague this industry we love. And I ask all the guests to give me a contribution to the pool. And this week, Jeff, we're going to hang out here by the pool and have a look at what some of the things that people have chucked in. I know you've picked a top five. 
Yes. So we'll go through those. Uh, top F in five, may I say? F in five <laughs> dips into the pool. <laughs> and uh, we all know that I love saying F in five. And, um, and also a quick shout out to Riaz Kanani, who I had on the show last week. And on LinkedIn, so if you swing by the Rockstar CMO LinkedIn, you'll see our mention, uh, has started quite the discussion about his nomination for the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. Uh, so that was very nice of him. So thank you very much, Riaz. Uh, Okay, so let's get cracking. So we've got these five, and uh, due to the fact that we actually prepare, although I don't know if the listener would notice, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have we have the five listed here. So let's kick off with Tim Hines from episode one hundred eight. He is the Martin Star and author, podcast show host, keynote speaker, and consultant. Hello, Tim. He nominated Martin must work in a crisis mode and give in to the demands from execs. He wants to throw that in the pool. What do you say, Jeff? I will, the first question is, do we let the execs come out, even though we, we want to, <laughs> we may want to leave the topic in, but do, I mean, they pay for the, they pay for marketing. Yeah. So maybe, but this yeah. is, this is a, um, uh, I mean, this is just like a tough issue in so many companies that I've worked for, mm. you've worked for is where, you know, People expect, I mean, marketing is kind of like a certain, well, not kind of, it is a service organization to the rest yes. of the, of, you know, the, yes. the org of the company. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of in the mode if, if the company wants to be in crisis mode or if an exec makes a demand, it's like you say, mm-hmm. oh, what do you do? You know, I don't know. I guess yeah. we gotta, we gotta follow through on it. And, and I think one of the things is that, you know, CMOs really have to help to you know set a kind of tenor where it's like you know just like going or stopping things and going off and doing something in a crisis it's unproductive it's it's mm. demotivating typically to employees so you know you know we in marketing we got to get ahead of it so you know we got to have service level agreements and yes we want to be agile we want to we want to be able mm. to if if we need to we want to be able to you know just shifts in directions, but you can't always, you can't just keep shifting directions or you just, obviously you get nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you might also want to have a crisis management process in place, you know, so for mm. when there really is a crisis, you know, we're going to get bought or we're going to, uh, mm. you know, something happens, uh, you know, we get a, a, a cybersecurity attack and it's like, then the team knows how to, what's the process? How do we react? Who's in charge of that? So, yeah. Yeah. But it could be a PR crisis, couldn't it? I mean, could so, be a PR crisis. Could be all an kinds airline of that breaks somebody's guitar or whatever it was. It's that old <laughs> reference. But, <laughs> That's yeah. right. So, so, um, and what do you say? Do you, so, the the nomination is marketing must work in a in crisis mode and giving to the demands from execs. Do we leave that in the pool? Or I think we stay in because the because <laughs> the point he was making, you know, must work mm. in crisis mode is um, it's the kiss That's of death. And as he said, everything is not life or death <laughs> <laughs> it's just marketing yes right okay that's splendid so so that one stays in well done tim uh next up laurie jones from episode 114 the ceo of avaset communications brands believing that a digital advertising approach is going to solve all their problems she chucked that right in so what do you say to that Jeff? well i said you know she had said um for one thing, she said, you know, there's very few digital first companies that are successful. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think part of the point uh, that she is making is that, you know, so digital is not new any longer. 
Um, but digital does not encompass the entire set of engagement that you have with your prospects and customers. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it is, it is now, you know, what was once, you know, a a trendy wave is now it's just part of business. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to look at a comprehensive buyer journey and see where people engage digital, non-digital, do your research, you know, on how to, uh, you know, every, everything from the beginning of the process through the sales engagement. So, um, uh, so I totally agree with her. You know, just got to focus on that entire journey and uh, work each stage and each team member to understand how to engage with them most or best. Yeah, cool. So um, I'm sensing that's staying in. That's, as you that's, said, you agree. That's staying in. Right. So we're keeping in brands believing that a digital advertising approach is going to solve all their problems. Well done, Laurie. Another one that's staying in. I should have like a bell or something. Shouldn't I? That's Ding. right. Or, 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 or a, a splash noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right let's move on to number three this is uh, tim parkin from episode 117 he's a global consultant advisor and executive coach he nominated artificial intelligence and algorithms are going to save you and replace marketing fundamentals how relevant is this one and this is from back at 117 before all this chat gpt fuss. i know it was mm. um and and i think you know given our emphasis in the show on marketing fundamentals nothing replaces fundamentals <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So his, I mean, his point is marketing is always about people. People know best how to market to people. And so Mm -hmm. I, I think that the, the reality is, is that, you know, people will set the rules by which the AI engines operate and they may help Mm -hmm. make our, or they are helping make our work more productive, efficient, enable us to do things that we weren't able to do humanly possible before. Um, And, you know, and, you know, I think it's being proven that delivers results. Obviously, there's there's the some of the issues. There could be, um, as I've you know heard, because we we have these uh, congressional hearings on AI right now, yeah, and it's like, yeah. well, you know, it could make jobs, it could take jobs away. I mean, that's yeah. that is kind of the reality of these new technologies as they get introduced. So, mm-hmm. I think that you know, just from the the way he phrased what goes into the pool, that it probably stays in and. Yeah. We may want to revisit it uh, in six months. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely doesn't away. replace fundamentals, but you know, it may end up knowing <laughs> the fundamentals better than you and I do. <laughs> you, took, you took away my bell moment when I asked you whether it stays in or not. But there you oh, go. sorry. The, what, what, <laughs> but I think the emphasis, like you say, is are going to save you. So yeah. it's like. You know, the, and I think that's probably where a lot of that conversation is happening just with ChatGPT. Yes, it's a bigger conversation about whether actually artificial intelligence is going to kill all of us. But um, the save you bit is instead of doing the fundamentals and doing things properly, you just lazily type something into ChatGPT. So yeah. I'm with you, mate. This should stay in. But I think it's a good point what, what you're saying there about we should revisit because obviously uh, this thing is moving quite fast. Isn't it, it is moving quite fast. Yeah. All right. So where are we? At? We didn't put any numbers on these, anyway. Right? So we're on to number four. Number four. <laughs> Already, we're trotting through these. It's going quite well. Um, Kurt Gendon, Gendon from episode 123 of marketing firm True Voice. He nominated the death of third party cookie is just so overhyped. So he wants the hype around third party cookies to go in the pool. What do you think? I think that that probably is. Uh... I think that makes sense. Of course, is like, is are we throwing the cookies in the pool, or are we throwing the hype in the pool? I think we're throwing the hype in the pool, and you know, cookies 
yeah. cookies in a pool gets messy. Uh, but I think that the, you know, I mean, his his point as I listened to it, you know, further was kind of like you know the impact of marketers just isn't as great mm-hmm. as advertised. Obviously, yeah. Chrome is making a big deal out of it. It is the dominant web browser out there. Um, you know, two thirds of the market. They're looking mm-hmm. at other ways of helping to do targeted advertising. So they're you know rolling out um, uh, some you know some new new uh, capabilities, which I was supposed mm-hmm. to think was coming early this year, but it maybe it's obviously being delayed yeah but yeah. i mean the reality is that you know how do you do targeting in a privacy driven world and i think that's one of the, the points that uh, yeah. that kurt made you've got 72 percent of america this was I, there was a, a blog from hubspot that noted yeah. um 72 percent of americans feel anxious about being tracked online 71 percent of marketers worry about their ability <laughs> to collect information on their prospects <laughs> oh my gosh i think there's a marriage there um yeah and but well, just on that point, sorry to interrupt. Um, there's different studies, isn't there? Because yeah. when they ask consumers, "Do you want relevant content, relevant advertising, and and offers?" and people say yes, so so it so there's some of this is about selling personalization and and stuff, isn't it? From yeah. a marketer's perspective, and understand and and Americans or any consumer feeling that they're getting value out of this, right? So yeah, yep. And and it's just it's tough when you, I mean. You know, as a as a consumer, I mean, you you deal with so many different companies you're mm. buying from, and so many different brands, mm. and then it's like when everybody is trying to get you because they figured out that you know, <laughs> you know, you're you're about to buy something. I always hate when I get ads for things that I actually already bought it. <laughs> it's like now I'm getting pummeled yeah. about you know some yeah some yeah, some yeah. product I was searching yeah. for uh, three months ago. But anyway, yeah. I mean, I think the and this is similar to you know one of our earlier points about you know thinking about the broad set of engagement um mm-hmm. you know which is i guess his point about the fact that it's not it's not as great as advertised as you know first party yeah. cookies still work you can use tactics to collect you know preferences if what you're really looking for is what are the preferences of the people mm-hmm. who i'm engaging with on my website or through other channels you know there are other ways to do that um Google will still be tracking groups of people, but not individuals. So targeted advertising will still keep working. It's particularly mm-hmm. one guy I was listening to said, you know, particularly on social platforms, if you do the advertising on yeah. social platforms, you still get the ability to target on preferences. Yeah. And the critical thing is you should be aggregating data across all of your sources of engagement. So again, the, the you know, digital and non-digital engagement, um, you really need to work to make sure you're tracking all of that because that really helps you build yeah, yeah. Uh, the picture of the preferences of your prospects and customers. Yeah. And the third party cookie is just not necessarily a big part of that. Yeah, no, I agree. In the end. And, um, and there's actually some research, which I shall feature in the next segment of this very show by the CMS, oh by CMS wire, who actually did some research into how CMOs feel about the death of the third party cookie and all this hype and, and fear mongering. And actually pr- people like, like Kurt suggested, you know, people are pretty chilled about it. We, you know, we're, we know that privacy is coming. We can sense what the consumer feels and we see all these studies. And so, yes, we are going, and we as marketers are going to need to do some other techniques. Some of those you described there, Jeff, but are we worried about it? Is it a big hype? It doesn't seem to be so much. So, what do you say? Is it are we are we staying keep, in or keep it in the pool? Keeping it. In? 
keep it in the pool. So it's the you know, if it, as it gets as it gets hot in July, being in the pool is probably a better place to be anyway. So <laughs> let's keep it in there. <laughs> so Kurt, the death of third party cookie is just so overhyped, stays in the pool. Ting. <laughs> <laughs> That's pathetic, isn't it? That's just not a sound effect at all. All right, so um, I should have. Uh, what should I, I should have brought uh, a glass or something that I could hit? <laughs> all right, uh, the next one is Caitlin Sorensen from episode one hundred and twenty-six. She's the president. She's got an amazing job title. She's the president of Trajet, and she's also the CEO of Loomly and Sendable, some social media platforms a lot of hats. you might be familiar with. Yeah, yeah, she has, and she, I mean. I like the way she was teetering on the edge of the pool there, looking over the balcony with Metaverse in her hand. We're going to chuck <laughs> that in the pool. And then uh, changed her mind and decided that voice search was what she was going to chuck in. What say you, Jeff? I think we should we should ask her to chuck Metaverse in so we can talk about that in a future episode. <laughs> um, but, uh, I did a whole special episode on Metaverse because kind of like that, this big, big debate broke out on LinkedIn between a couple of folks I know. So I had them on to discuss it and I... I don't think we conclusively decided, <laughs> but I think it's in the pool now, right? Nobody's talking tells, about it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, back to voice. Back to voice search. Well, the thing is, yes. and she, as she says, you know, it has a place in the car, in the kitchen, mm. but it won't help you get in front of people. Uh, you know, and I think that, and, and she was, you know, inferring that we were going to get past voice search and mm. get into video search, image search, other, other ways. Mm. And to me, this is, you know, very, uh, device dependent. Um, mm-hmm. And so in business to consumer marketing advertising, um, it is absolutely, it's there and it, people are, are using mm-hmm. it, you know, whether it's on their phone or in Alexa or whatever, yeah. um, you know, in B2B, probably not. Um, uh, you know, and I'm the, yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, that it's, it's probably stronger in B2C, but you've got to imagine if, if, you know, it's, it's, if you're the sort of person that inter- interacts with your computer through voice or your devices through voice, if you're asking a question, what's, you know, what song should I play or, or what pair of sneakers should I wear? You're going to say, what's the best um, web analytics tool or what's, the, you know, what, e- ha- what, what email product should I use? Or so, you know, you're naturally going to do that. I would imagine it would bleed across well, if you're that kind of person. Well, and I think that this is where things that, that become, you know, mm. uh, you know, very common in business to mm. consumer or in our other lives, they, they work yes. their way into the business to business yeah, world. So, yeah, yeah. so that's why I say, you know, it's device dependent and it's like, as the mm. devices evolve and as we mm. get more comfortable, even though we might be sitting in our laptop, um, mm. if we get comfortable using, uh, you know, the voice capabilities, of the laptop mm. and or whatever, um, or we get new devices that come along, then you've really just, you got to prepare for it. So I think that the, the thing is that, which is the hard part for marketers, is how do I make sure that my content that I'm putting out there is optimized for mm-hmm. uh, being recognized in voice search? So mm-hmm. a couple of things I was I was reading about is, you know, create a list of questions to guide your copy so that if so that you're 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 sort of yeah. answering what people might be asking. And then it might be how they're asking it versus voice versus even if they're typing it in, yeah. you know, in the command bar um, or the search bar. And, uh, and, you know, and as the other search tactics, you know, use of long tail keywords, et cetera, putting that into your content. I mean, there are a variety of ways, which are probably ways that you would use for search engine optimization, that if you just 
think about how it might apply to mm. voice search you're probably preparing. I, I think, yeah, and I think there's a couple of other things on on this as well. When I've um, when I've been asked about voice search, and but I've used it in the instance of brand, for example. So I I think that if you're um, if you're Nike or Nike, for example, you're going to want me to ask Alexa for a pair of Nike trainers, not ask for a pair of black trainers or yeah. blue trainers or whatever I want, right? Um, so they want, they want to do a lot of brand awareness, the normal old school brand building, right? So that, so that I do that. So because you don't have that sophistication of choice, do you? If you type in something into a search bar, you get 150,000 choices and you make that choice. Whereas with voice, it's not going to read out 150,000 choices. Yeah. It's going to say, it's going to say which one. And the other part of that is as I listen to the way you were saying we should construct our content so it answers questions i was then thinking about chat gpt because yeah. i thought to myself if you're writing content that answers questions that's that same interface and it's also the same interface as voice in that it doesn't give you a thousand answers like google does it tries to give you the right one right so it tries to give you what it thinks is the right, <laughs> the right one. one yeah so it kind of uh, it kind of works both ways so this is a really interesting topic and i think it goes beyond voice search and i almost wish caitlin had tossed in metaverse because i think that would have been a clearer decision between us well, so, so let's, let's yeah. call her back <laughs> yeah. so, so jeff is this staying in or i think this, i think this comes out i think we Ooh. we get a towel uh you know and we <laughs> we invite it back out of the pool <laughs> and uh, let it dry off and sit in the sun for a while. Oh, and, get, and bring I'm in sorry. a cocktail. <laughs> I'm sorry, Caitlin. So voice search has come out of the pool. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't have a sound effect for that. What would be the sound effect for something coming out of the pool, sort of a whooshing <sighs> noise or something? Something coming out. Anyway, buddy, that's, uh, that's good. We managed to crack through those five. I was, I was worried whether we would. Uh, so the last item on the agenda is these things well four of them continue to bob around in the pool and the other one basks <laughs> basks on the side with a cocktail what song are we playing out with today? we're playing um we're going to go with the fact that most of these stay in the pool with a song called jump in the pool by friendly uh-huh. fires 2008 uh it says i could tell you that you wanted to jump in the pool so <laughs> go for it that's absolutely perfect so i'll be playing out with jump in the pool by friendly fires from 2008 and um if we get the location right of whether we're going to be in the studio or by the pool or anywhere of your choosing um will you be there next week yes (laughs) (laughs) wherever that is i look forward to it mate i'll see you next week see ya cheers buddy Jeff, that was a tiny bit of Jump in the Pool by Friendly Fires from 2008. And if you have something you'd like to get off your chest that would make a splash in our portal to marketing hell, give us a shout on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. 
Right, time to go backstage with my guest. Sarah Kimmel is the VP of Research at Simpler Media Group, where she leads the CMSYR Insights and Reworked Insights Research, covering a wide range of topics, including customer experience, marketing leadership, employee experience, and modern HR leadership. Sarah has 20 plus years of experience in original research across a broad range of technology, HR and learning and development topics. And her latest research in this new report for CMSY is a fascinating read. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Sarah, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. Hey, it's great. It's, I mean, having somebody on from CMSY is, is brilliant for me. I think before I hit record, uh, we were talking about how I made my first contribution, I think, back in 2009, always been a fan of your work. Um, but actually, I've already mentioned CMSY and what you do. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Sarah. What is it that you do? Sure. I am the vice president of research at Simpler Media Group. Um, and before that, um, I spent uh, about eight years being the vice president of research for Human Capital Media, which was mm-hmm. chief learning officer and workforce. Um, and before that, I was on the global learning team at Accenture, um, uh, where uh, I was doing research on learning impact um, and mm-hmm. how uh, learning impacted performance inside of an organization. And for everybody who doesn't know about, about Simpler Media Group and CMS Wire, um, uh, Simpler Media Group is a media, events, and research business um, with two public brands, CMS Wire. Um, and reworked. CMS Wire is uh, focused on customer experience, and mm-hmm. reworked is focused on employee experience. And both of them tend to have a, a focus, a particular focus on digital experience, either for the customer or for the employee. Yeah, no, I love it. And um, say hello to Bryce when you see him next. Uh, the guy who runs Simpler Media is it? He's um, somebody that many of my colleagues and friends in the industry know very well so um simpler media fr- uh, a friend of yours i feel i am i should say um so but so i want to get to your work at cms wire because you've produced a report called the state of cmo um which we'll talk about in a second and i'm uh, i'm i'm very lucky that when we planned this just a moment ago before i hit record we realized that we have way too much to cover in 20 minutes so i'm gonna have you back next week and we'll talk about that a bit more but let's start again go back to you so you've got this career in research what inspired you to choose that path and one of the things i do want to say is i think research is fascinating i think all of us marketers need research right so folks like you are our friends so what inspired you to choose research Okay, so I'm a social scientist by training and by education. Um, Originally, I thought I was going into anthropology, um, (laughs) and I started down that path. And then um, when I kind of got into the weeds in in anthropology in grad school, realized that anthropology is, is weirdly theoretical. Um, and it's it's uh, not very practical and it's it's not really focused on problem solving or, or any of those sorts of things. And so that it wasn't really what I wanted. And I, I ended up going more broadly into social science and almost immediately at the point at which I left grad school, I was recruited um, by the director of performance measurement at Accenture. Um, who had all of these side projects that he wanted to do, almost all of them involving research or Mm -hmm. some some research of some flavor. Uh, So I actually spent about 10 years um, having interesting 
problem after interesting problem thrown at me um, and eventually ended up on the learning team uh, on the strategy side uh, at Accenture doing um, what I can only tell you was amazingly fun research into their hundreds of thousands of employees and the way that they learn um, and and what defines uh, kind of high performance Mm -hmm. um, uh, for for the employees. Super fun uh, job. Uh, from there, you know, was uh, I was actually recruited to go to uh, human capital media as well, like because of my role at Accenture. Mm. Um, so I just ended up, you know, there was this kind of like flow to the way <laughs> I just ended up in one research role after another. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it's good, though. It's like uh, um, uh, if I'm not problem solving, I'm bored. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. research is a great place to 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 think. Um, yeah. And to kind of figure something out, and I kind of need that. Yeah, um, I think the interesting thing about your story there, and it's nice to have a research on the shelves. Normally, I'm talking to marketers or agency folks and uh, CMOs, and m- the amount of people I talk to who have got successful careers like yours uh, fell into it through serendipity and just stuck with it for a period of time, then find themselves some period later going, "Oh, well, this is my career now." Right. Like the yeah. trick to it, I think, is is not thinking that there was some way it was supposed to go, yeah, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, being able to take the opportunities as they come up um, yeah. and kind of embrace them, even if it's not quite what you thought um, yeah. it would be. And also your current work. So we'll get to the report that you've just done. How are you finding working with marketers and CMOs compared to that fascinating role that you had around learning? Okay, so marketers are completely different. <laughs> I, I will say that, like, um, yeah, they're yeah. they're um, much more incentive driven on the research mm-hmm. side. Uh, uh, it's harder to reach them. Um, I, my my role is split between the um, the customer experience on one side and the employee experience mm-hmm. on the other. And the employee experience is much more familiar to me. You know, that's right, your right. HR and your senior executives and people focused on like how to improve the employee experience and diversity yeah. and all of those issues, which I'm very familiar with it was it was the cx side of the house that was actually the um kind of the challenge for me Mm. i i started with our all of the the data that we had on the digital customer experience side which immediately just kept raising more and more questions for me like the deeper i got into that data the more i was like what's going on over here (laughs) you know like you know uh, like who are these people what's happening um and it was it was all of that that actually led to the creation of the state of the cmo survey um Mm. at the end of last year um we thought to ourselves like okay you know um so one of the mysteries inside of the data that we had was that um customer experience appears to be kind of split up um into a bunch of different functions you know, like marketing has a piece of it. Sales has a customer support has a little bit. The senior executives are throwing their five cents in. You know, everybody's <laughs> got a little piece of customer experience. You know, it's like yeah. a tug of war. Um, yeah. And we thought to ourselves, like, OK, we, we need to understand the critical roles that are involved in shaping the customer experience better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the role we decided to start with was the CMO. I love um, it. Probably, probably the most critical role um, for yeah. shaping um, and uh, figuring out how to construct and create the customer experience. Right. So that's where well, we started. Yeah. Well, a couple of great things there. One is thank you for segueing straight into your report, which is what I was just about to do. So that's fantastic. <laughs> but the other one there is so the fact that you guys went for the CMO first 
is that a reflection on the fact that that's where you see CX needing to live with 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 the CMO? Is that the is that the guy on the guy or gal on the C suite who needs to be leading this? Okay, so here's how I think about it. What yeah. I think is, um, I'm trying to figure out what's the most strategic role connected mm-hmm. to customer yeah. experience, right? Yeah. And I mean, you could say maybe it's the C-suite or the senior executive, but they don't. I mean, mm. given the MarTech stack now, they're not mm. experts. You know, and I actually have some data that shows that when your C-suite is making the decisions on your platforms, they're not working as well. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, and and if you think about like logically, where does the construction of the of the mm. customer strategy, like the go to market, like all of that mm. live? That lives in the marketing function. Right. Like who should who should be figuring out the customer journey? Yeah, who yeah. should be figuring out how to make the technology work in order to reach everyone? Mm-hmm. That's marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so marketing is the most strategic role, like the most obvious place for that to live. Yeah, and I think increasingly, particularly in SaaS companies, we're needing to extend beyond the purchase and look after the customer once they're on board, right? Because now we're challenged with with SaaS with with churn and keeping people engaged and active right so i think that sounds fairly natural and of course as a cmo myself i'm delighted that you chose our role first so what tell us about the um, so so the report is called the state of cmo insights from the 2023 annual chief marketing officer survey and it's available on your website and i'll include a link to it in the show notes um how what 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 was the scope of the research how many people did you talk to how did that go what what, what what's the background behind it Okay, so uh, we did have about it's north of 700. I know that it's more than 700 um, uh, marketing leaders participated in the survey. So everyone who participated in the survey leads the marketing function in whole or part. Um, uh, We have it that way because sometimes in much larger organizations, the marketing function will be broken up into growth marketing or, you know, a mm. lot of different things. Um, and uh, uh, we wanted to make sure that we were capturing the people who were, you know, putting marketing strategy together yeah, for at least yeah. a big piece of the organization. Yeah. So about 700 people participated in it who are all um, involved in leading marketing. Right. Uh, this research was conducted in November and December mm-hmm. of last year. So it's not very nice old. Fresh, We're only in yeah. May here. Yeah. Um, this was a kind of a lightning fast report mm-hmm. that we put together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and let me see here. It is, uh, all of this is available for free yes. um, on CMS wire. Uh, yeah. If you go to hold on one second here, <laughs> I think it's um, cmswire.com slash state of CMO. Right. Yeah. And like I say, I'll include the link as well. And I, I think if you just do a quick search on CMSY, you can probably quite easily find it. So um, it's very cool. So it's uh, I've downloaded it and I downloaded it for free. And I, in fact, after downloading it, thought I really want to talk to CMSY about this thing. Right. So that's how we got hooked up. Thank you for accepting my invite. Um, but it's a 50 page report. It's dripping with insight. And I'm not reading some ad survey. I actually believe that. And it offers 10 key takeaways. And as I mentioned at the beginning, 
thank you very much for agreeing to come back and we'll talk about some of those takeaways in a bit more depth because I think you and I recognize that we could probably go on about this for a bit right once we a had a couple look. hours I think <laughs> exactly I'd love to dive. I'm, 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 I feel uh, feel good that we're going to be able to do that dive in but if if you could give us a highlights what are the couple of things that without giving away you know what we're going to talk about next week because I'll make this a two-parter um or for anybody who's, who wants to download the actual um, report. What were the thing, what were the highlights for you? What came through as a research that you thought, well, that's quite exciting? Okay. There were a couple of things. One is um, uh, we started taking a look at what are the critical skills for the role. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and from the marketer's perspective, so from the CMO's perspective, what are the critical roles? Not what are their CMO, you know, C- CEOs think, not, you know, what's out there, you know, on the Wall Street Journal or what people are talking about with marketing, <laughs> but like yeah. in the, from the perspective of marketers themselves, what mm-hmm. do they think are those critical skills? And there were some surprises there right. um, uh, in, in terms of the way that they think about their role. The biggest surprise being that they um, actually creative thinking um, mm. is, was their number and it wasn't just a little bit like oh they're number one it was it was their number one by something like 20 or 30 percentage points it was it was a huge huge difference it was like a giant signal inside the noise of the data saying this is super important this is how (laughs) marketers think about them yes um we also were looking at okay what what do they think they need to develop in the future Mm. um we were very interested in whether or not they thought they um, had needed to develop a lot of technical skills. It's certainly mm-hmm. something that we hear a lot about mm-hmm. that turned out to be true. Um, and it's not only true that they needed to develop technical skills, but they think they still need to. Right. Not done, right. 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 Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, we, we looked a little bit into where we saw technical advances uh, in in marketing happening and how that was kind of interacting with the role, mm-hmm. big changes that uh, that they saw coming uh, mm-hmm. for their role. Like where did they think they were going to have to do, or what did they think? How did they think the role was changing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there there were not huge surprises there. A lot of those changes were things that we anticipated. You know the. Yeah. Tighter partnership with the sales team, you know, yeah. more use of technology, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we, you know, we did find a couple of other nuggets that were um, that in, ended up being super interesting. Um, that marketers are a lot less concerned with um, uh, with changing privacy regulations mm-hmm. than you might wow. think. Wow. Yeah. Um, like uh, we really thought that they would, you know, be tearing their hair out, but they're totally not. Apparently, they're bored with it. Um, yeah. They've. Uh, uh, been thinking about it for a while, and I guess they've solved that yeah, um, yeah. that problem. And then um, uh, there were, you know, two other things that really struck me. One is that um, uh, CMOs, uh, it, it's a terminal role. Like people think of it, uh, if once they're a CMO, if they're a CMO of a larger organization, mm-hmm. that that's it. That's the pinnacle of their yes. career. That's where yeah, they yeah. want it to be. Yeah. But if they're at a smaller company. Mm-hmm. And they're a CMO. They might be headed somewhere else. Yeah. You know, that's that's probably not the, the terminal role that they were looking for. Yeah, but it, is that it, was that um, were they looking for larger CMO roles? Then I mean, because I think there's or, a lot talked about the dead end, which is CMO. That you know, not many CEOs come from the ranks of the CMO. That usually comes from operations or sales. So is that what you're seeing? Is that it's like? Or um, a, or a trip yeah. into consulting. Oh um, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, which yeah. is which also always seems to be the kind of end of career path for a lot of executive roles. Right, right, right. So, um, but and so this report is really CMOs on CMOs, and I think what's quite interesting here is if one was to look at the popular zeitgeist that's being mentioned about CMOs and about, you know, I think the technical skills one is probably fairly hackneyed, but I don't think, I think it's interesting. You're saying the CMOs feel that they're creative. I think that's awesome, you know, and, and hopefully that's what other people think as well. But, di- uh, but did you hear anything about sort of like some of the popular tropes around tenure, for example, or any of that stuff, but how did CMOs feel about some of those things? About tenure? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we're, we're always saying, um, you know that there's uh, the, the the CMO role is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Did you did you feel a confidence through the research about about the CMO role, about the importance of the CMO role? I guess I'm, I'm not saying this because I am a CMO and I'm looking for reassurance. <laughs> I'm just wondering if any of these. <laughs> I'm just testing some of these popular you know um, tropes and things that we hear about the CMO. How that came about from your research because it's actually CMOs on CMOs, right? Okay. All right. Yeah. I think I, I think I can answer this. Um, they're not pessimistic right. about the role. They're yeah. not. Um, uh, they they do seem to be kind of excited, but I think that they they're very aware of the challenge that's in front of them. Yeah. Um, and and when we got into the the all of these insights come from the comments uh, mm. from the from yeah, the survey. Yeah. You know, people kind of talking about it in their yeah. own words. Yeah. And and what you notice immediately in the comments is how nuanced they 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 are when they're talking about mm-hmm. what the future holds for them you know mm-hmm. they're like well we've got to we've got to get all this data integration and we <laughs> oh we have to all of these platforms have to come together and okay wait wait we also need to <laughs> you know get leadership on board and we need to balance this out with privacy and then i yeah. mean it's just this uh kind of long laundry list uh, of things that they feel like all need to be accomplished simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And that, and so that's kind of the place where the role of the CMO is right now in this place that it it is transforming into something much more sophisticated um, than it has been up to this point. And one of the points that some of the, um, uh, the, the marketing leaders made in their comments were things like, you know, it's getting to be because of the the Martech stack and and um, uh, the sophistication of a lot of this. It's getting to be that you can't just plug somebody in right. um, yeah. from another part of the business to the marketing role and have that work out. It's very specialized yeah. um, now, and it's becoming something uh, that you have to dedicate a lot more time. Um, to understanding and mm. figuring out the technology and sort of developing yourself in order to be good at it. Right. So the rise of the professional marketer, as it were, rather than the hat. Yeah, right? I think yeah. that that's where yeah, we yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting and and, um, and very reassuring. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but we'll dive into some of that next week. Well, it'll be next week. I mean, for us, we're going to do it in a minute. I'll give away our secret, but <laughs> I'll, we'll dive into that a bit more next week and we'll d- dive into your top seven. And I'm going to move to our final question because we're running out of time. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on and overhype trends, the plague this industry we love. As a researcher, what would you chuck in? Okay. Um, the idea that you're going to get anywhere as a marketer, mm-hmm. like anywhere important or effective, mm-hmm. um, without serious customer journey work. Right. Um, is is what I would chuck into the abyss forever and let it burn. <laughs> um, so I 
I did an analysis last year of data from our state of the digital customer experience study. Mm -hmm. And what I was trying to figure out was why personalization is stalled. Right. Um, why is it that forward progress, like organization, more organizations are just not becoming better at personalization. <laughs> why is that? Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I went looking for, I started, you know, cutting the data and doing yeah. regressions and trying to figure out like what's predictive. Yeah. Um, and yes, larger organizations are a little bit better at it. And yes, organizations with more tools are a little bit better at it. But the single most predictive variable for whether or not organizations are deriving benefits from personalization is how well they say they understand their customers' behavior. Mm -hmm. um, so like UX isn't enough. Tools aren't enough. You can't throw money at it to fix it. <laughs> yeah. um, Scott Galloway said at our conference um, last week that uh, people do things for their own reasons, yes. not for yours. Yes. Um, and if you don't understand what those reasons are, you have yeah. almost no hope yeah, of yeah. of marketing effectively and personalizing effectively for them. Oh, that, that's brilliant! And that also brings together a couple of couple of things I'm interested in, which is a your publication. And I I had completely missed that you had Scott Galloway <laughs> presenting at your <laughs> in Austin, wasn't it? And I yeah. and on his podcast, he was talking about being in Austin. And I hadn't connected the two. So yes. well, congratulations to having Scott there as a presenter. I imagine it was an excellent keynote. But that's brilliant. I love that. Thank you very much, coming from researcher. So when people spin the dial on the interwebs where they're going to find you the best place to find me is on linkedin mm -hmm. um uh, i'm at sarah kimmel uh on linkedin pretty easy to find if you just search me for sarah kimmel at smg um i used to be on twitter but it's becoming a little unusable yeah. so yeah i think a lot of us aren't as much on twitter as we used to be but that's fantastic i'll include all your links in the show notes and i'm looking forward to welcoming you back on the podcast next week where we're going to dive into your top seven from that report. I'm looking forward to that. I'll speak All to right, you then. Thank Cheers. you. Right. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. As I mentioned, a lot in their report to cover in 20 minutes. I hope you agree it's worth us continuing with a deeper dive next week when Sarah will return to share her top seven insights. I will, of course, include a link to the report in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Uh, well, tonight... I think we're going to, it's a classic that we have tonight Ooh. because it felt like a classic kind of yes. evening. Um, and this will warm the cockles of your British heart, um, <laughs> as it were. Um, we're going to have a classic Vesper. Um, and, uh, and for those, the very few people, I, I suppose, who don't know what a Vesper is, um, it is very simple drink. Um, it comes, of course, from James Bond. And, of course, James mm -hmm. Bond is associated with the martini, shaken, of course, never stirred. Uh, but the Bond lovers will also know about the Vesper, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, Ian Fleming uh, created back in the novel Casino Royale, um, which, is, of course, is the Bond book <laughs> if you are into such things. And it's a very simple drink. It's basically just uh, gin, uh, 
vodka. Ooh. It's a mix, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Um, and Lillette. Um, which is a, a bit of a, a bit of a mixer, or if you will, or an aperitif, if you will, um, and just so it's two parts, one part and half part of gin, vodka, and lilette. So lilette. Um, oh, okay. Yes. Was yes. It, um, on the topic of vespers, wasn't that the fa- That's the favorite drink of one of our chums, isn't it, Tim? Uh, wasn't it? Wasn't he a vesper drinker? I mean, I've forgotten his second name, and it's really bad. Um, uh, he was at um, uh, real. Um, at um, Digital Clarity Group. Oh, you mean Tim? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Tim, our good friend Tim. Yeah, our good friend yes. Tim, whose second name is escaping me completely for some mysterious <laughs> reason. <laughs> Walters is his Walters, last. yes, the good yeah. Dr. Walters, yes, who yeah, hopefully doesn't Dr. listen to the show. I'm he did drink a Vesper on occasion, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, that, I mean, uh, it's nice that I thought of him. And if I can remember his second name, I think, don't you? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So a classic Vesper, and where are we going to take these incredibly classy drinks this week, my friend? Oh, well, I, there are many places where we could go. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, you know, the, the, I guess the, the most obvious place would be somewhere in London. But where I want to go this week is we're going to head up to a place where I have been to a few times as a kid, mm-hmm. because as we've talked about on the show before, my family hails from Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, my, both everybody on my mother's side, including my mother. Um, came from Scotland, although they were Glaswegian, and and we're going to head to Edinburgh, oh, lovely, uh, yeah. because I love that town so much. It's so perfect. Yeah. Um, it feels like the perfect place for, and this is the time of year to visit Edinburgh, mm-hmm. of course. Um, and um, the you know, well, I think we sit in the Edinburgh Castle as it looms over the city and 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 looks at all of the wonderful scenic mm-hmm. outlook, and we can sit. Um, I don't know that there's a bar up there necessarily, <laughs> but um, we could certainly bring up our flasks of, of Vesper and, and pour ourselves a Vesper and overlook a, a wonderful city. I love that. Yes. And um, and also the James Bond's bound to come out. And I know I'm not going to ask you to do it now, but I know you do a very good Sean Connery. So I can imagine us. Yeah, I couldn't. I can't slip into it as, as well as I used to. So it will take some time and, and probably a couple of Vespers for me to do it. But yeah, I, I can I, imagine us up there. I have been known. I have been known to slip into my Sean Connery. So, um, in our so when uh, so, yeah, so I've got to shift that vision. So in in uh, so after we're done with our uh, exchanging our uh, best Sean Connery impersonations and sipping these vespers in that lovely city, um, what? Oh, hang on a minute! I've got to make the fucking drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you want to make something. Oh my god, 170 odd episodes and I've forgotten my own script. Right, I'm going to attempt to make that very drink <laughs> using only the ingredients in my desktop bar. Um, so I've just slung some ice into a glass and I'm going with um, Hendrix Gin. Yes. Ah, well that's part yes, of it. But I don't have any Lillette or whatever it was you said. Um, yes. I only have cucumber tonic water from the lovely people at fever tree which i should splash into there um and also if i put in just a little bit more gin that'll account for the vodka so there you go first splash of that in there <laughs> can't believe i've forgotten how my own show works let's have a sip mm. it might be all these gins that's doing it you know that's delicious robert and what are we calling this uh we'll be calling this the vesper <laughs> Which is not my name for it, but it, it is a 
big and classic drink. Yes. And isn't is it? It is shaken, isn't it? Usually, just to get back, to, it's, it's shaken. What? It's a shaken drink, isn't it? Oh yes, so, indeed. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, shaken, yeah, never I, stirred, I, never stirred. Just like yeah, the so martini. Completely yes. bugged all of that out. Anyway, so while we're sipping these lovely drinks, um, what convers and we the conversation turns <laughs> to marketing in our Sean Connery accents. What are we? Uh, what are we talking about this week? It's good that you're back on track <laughs> just with, about. The, with the actual structure of your show. Um, what we're going to talk about this week is a little bit about brand mm-hmm. awareness um, and measuring, specifically measuring brand awareness. Um, it's a question I got a lot, and it's actually a question that came in to uh, the CMI inbox, and I ended up uh, cool. writing on it, and so thought we'd talk mm-hmm. a little bit about it because it yeah. is increasingly becoming an important part of B2B marketing for sure. And, uh, been part of B2C marketing for a long time. And, um, of course, when we ask, how should we measure the value of our brand awareness efforts? The question isn't really how we should measure it, because of course the answer to that is just like, well, analytics (laughs) is how you measure that. But what you're, what you really want to know when that question comes in is, okay, how do we connect brand awareness to business oh, God, value, yes. right? And so business value, of course, there's really only two, which is increased revenue or lower cost. And so, okay, how do you then connect brand awareness efforts that you're doing to either more revenue and lower costs? And it feels difficult, right? It feels mm-hmm. tricky because it, with brand awareness, especially because it's so uh, qualitative, it can it can be not unlike trying to figure out Well, if you look at a baseball player, for example, and trying to figure out, looking at an individual baseball player statistics, how that draws a correlative line Mm -hmm. to team wins. Um, You know that more is better and you know that higher is better, but you don't really know how to connect it to um, how the team is doing. And so the key is to look at this in a very, very specific way, which is when we start thinking about brand and value brand aware it's 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 important to understand the the two words in Mm -hmm. that sentence right the brand awareness because if we look at brand of course that is the idealized nature of ourselves it's what we (laughs) hope everybody believes about us right it it is you know what we what we hope that everybody will think that agrees with what we think about our brand and then awareness however is just becoming aware of Mm -hmm. it to begin with and so those two things work against each other, right? Um, because becoming aware of a brand doesn't immediately change people's perception of how trusted or valuable or like us that we want them to be. They just become aware of it. And so it's the very, very first part of a journey toward the ideal, which of course is becoming engaged and valuing our brand as a differentiated solution to whatever you're needing. And so when we start to think about that, it's like the journey before the journey, right? It's, it's almost, how do I become aware of the journey that I want to take with a particular solution? And it's not that we can't necessarily connect that to cost mm-hmm. savings or revenue. I mean, it would be simple, right? To go, oh, well, brand awareness, how many people come to my website is the number for that. And I'll just do the number of new website visitors uh, versus the increased revenue. And I'll go, great, every new website visitor is worth X dollars. And it's like, <laughs> no, that doesn't really work. Oh, if because that's simple. That's <laughs> and it basically devalues anything that happens after mm-hmm. that first visit, right? It's like, oh, Talking to a salesperson didn't matter. <laughs> Engaging with marketing content didn't matter. You know, working with the product features yeah. didn't matter. It was all about that making yeah. you aware. So that's where people struggle. 
And so the key is to look at those two things together and say, what is it that we're trying to achieve mm. with better brand awareness? And of course, brand awareness, that equals a greater probability that someone will then start to like us more or engage with us more, which equals a greater probability of getting you know that person to be engaged with our product or features or whatever it is, which equals a greater probability of uh, of, of of actual purchase. So that's where we could connect it. And so you, the question then becomes: How do we measure that probability? And it's literally to bring it back to the baseball metaphor. It's like at bats, yeah. right? Basically, brand awareness gives you more at bats. <laughs> Um, and if you have more at-bats, well, then you can make a correlation to say more at-bats equals more hits, and that equals more. So it's connecting the brand awareness measurement mm. to other levels of measurement that you may be doing, which it might be number of leads, number of engaged leads, number of engaged uh, people, et cetera, et cetera, how many people you get subscribed. And so if we start looking at the different methods of saying, okay, great. How do we set objectives yeah. for that? Like, how what do our objectives look like? Well, that gets hard too, because all of a sudden you're like, well, our objective is to increase <laughs> yeah. revenue, or our objective is to save money. And it's like, okay, well, now I now I have to reverse engineer that all the way back to a brand awareness. It's like, no, let's just look at it at that greater probability. In other words, it's a mm -hmm. good thing. It's a good thing to start creating awareness that can give us more at bats to increase the value of the brand. And so we can say, okay, let's look at quantity of traffic as a percentage of our total addressable audience, or let's look at the quantity of conversions of known audiences, right? Newsletter subscriptions, you know, the idea of subscribing to our blog or those kinds of things. Or we can even look at, you know, just increased engagement, you know, time on site, the kinds of engagement with our content. All of these are demonstrable to say that we're creating greater awareness. And if we can then connect that to the greater awareness equals more leads, more opportunities, more conversions to newsletters, well, those equal yeah. good things. And so our, when if we set up an OKR, like a, a literally an objective with key results, we can start to look at, great, how does brand awareness affect sales enablement? Yeah. Because that's what correlates to directly to revenue or cost savings. Then that's the quantity side. But we can also look at quality, right? Because what we're trying to do, remember, is increase the perception, the value yeah. perception of that person. Well, there, one of my favorite things to do is literally just do surveys and mm -hmm. research and polls. And so if we can do, you know, of course, we can do the classic brand recall mm -hmm. things where we look at our target audience and how well do they recall our brand or how well do they know our brand or understand what we do. But we can also do things like, you know, interview the people who visit our website versus just general people. And we can start to draw metrics and, and differences and distinctions between the people who subscribe to our blog and become more favorable to our brand over time or the people who engage with our webinars or our content and become more favorable. And we start asking them vis-a-vis -vis our competitors or vis-a-vis -vis our content competitors, you know, like magazines yeah. or other influencers that sort of compete for the same audience attention. And we, now we can start triangulating those things. The awareness creates greater quantity it also creates greater quality. Mm -hmm. And as we can create and we can triangulate those two things to say that gives us a greater probability for better leads or higher quality leads or more engaged opportunities or more engaged sales or higher conversions or any of those sort of more direct metrics that correlate directly to revenue or cost savings. Well, now we've actually created 
a an objective and a measurable way to measure our brand awareness efforts that don't necessarily draw a direct line to revenue, but they draw a direct line to those things mm. that create revenue. And it becomes an important thing to do, and it becomes yeah, an important I love thing this. to make. I love this topic because I think brand is coming back as a, as a topic um, with CMOs. And I was actually at a, a CMO roundtable this week, and we discussed brand. And one of the, one of I think some of, some of it has come, has come, some of my opinion has come from conversations with you about the fact that brand is a multiplier for all your other marketing efforts, right? Is that if you're doing PPC or something like that and, and, somebody, and you're in a competitive keyword situation and, and the, the person who's searching comes up with five or six options, all paid ads, which one are they going to select? Were well, they going to select the one that resonates with them or they've got some brand recall with or, or something like that, right? So, so you won't be able to attribute it, but maybe your brand is, is actually improving your PPC, for example, or any other strategy that you're using. I think it is a, it's a key multiplier. But one of the other things I thought was, in, sorry, one of the other things I thought was interesting about what you were saying there about sort of sizing up brand awareness. So would you think that there's an, there's a, um, that there's an exercise here in understanding how much awareness do you actually need, right, um, in your business, particularly with us in B two B, right? We we don't need to be known by everybody. We don't need to be known by our mums or whatever. Even though a lot of executives want that kind of brand recall, but um, we just need to be known by a specific audience. Is that is that something as part of this methodology you just described? Yeah, yeah. Indeed, yeah. It's it's a it's a well it's for every yeah, yeah. product marketer right it's for every it's for every marketing strategy which is you know and it's it's a it's a lost art in many ways because of the how much i see businesses skimping yeah. out on the planning and research uh part of marketing strategy which is understanding you know and this goes back to marketing 101 that <laughs> yeah you know, go back to kotler or anybody you know yeah. understanding your tam yeah. right your total addressable market and yeah. the numbers in there, right? So if I understand as a B2B organization that the total addressable market for my particular set of products and services is X, well, now I can understand how many I need to be, you know, to have mm -hmm. a disproportionate share of voice, right? Um, and I can say, well, what, what do I need to, you know, and, and, and basically, I mean, obviously the, the, the knee jerk yeah, reaction yeah. is well, a hundred percent, of course, I need a hundred percent awareness. <laughs> yeah. And of course you don't, um, because there's a, there's a, a tipping point where you become sort of the most favored, uh, idea. And you can, of course run, you can definitely run research and surveys and polls on this on brand, levels of brand awareness across that target market and see where you stack rank mm -hmm. against competitors or others that are providing solutions like yours. Um, but the other thing is to say, make the assumptions, draw it all the way down the funnel. And if you say, mm -hmm. okay, now we have a measurement plan mm -hmm. in place, right? And this is one of my favorite things to do is to reverse engineer it. And you say, okay, given best practices, brand awareness, you know, levels of X right. equals X yeah, amount yeah. of leads. I'm making this up, but just to keep it simple. Right. And so you say brand awareness X equals X number of engaged leads, X number of engaged leads equals X number of opportunities and X number of opportunities equals X mm -hmm. number of customers, yeah, which yeah. equals X amount of revenue. And then if you say, great, our goal yeah. 
is to get to X revenue. Now I can start reverse engineering that and say, well, best practices says if we want X revenue, we're going to need X customers, which means X number of leads, which means an X number of opportunities, which equals X number of visitors to our website, which equals X number of people brand awareness. Now we can compare and we can go, are we shooting ourselves in the foot? In other words, is our TAM not big enough? Um, or yeah. are we, you know, are we shooting for 10%, 15%, 20% brand awareness? If we get 20% brand awareness, we'll know mm. that that part of the funnel, that part of the buyer's journey is optimized, right? So if you've got 20, and if it works out to 20% of your brand awareness and you're not, you're still not meeting your revenue goals. Well, the problem isn't yeah. brand awareness at that point. The problem is somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, no, I love this. I've, I've, I've done that myself, Thought, um, you know, target revenue. Well, I mean, I'm not unique in that. But I hadn't considered that far up the funnel, as it were, into brand awareness. I think this is yeah. yeah I mean, it yeah, gets fuzzier and fuzzier, right? I mean, it, it, you know, it's not it's not meant to be. You know, as I've said before, agreement on yeah. the goals is much more important than the granular accuracy yeah. of the goals. No, I, I love it. I love it, and I love the connection because that's the conversation we're all having: is trying to connect the value of brand, which we know is valuable, and how we communicate that to the c-suite to say we should be investing in this and by and and this methodology sounds fascinating to connecting it actually with revenue i think that's great and and have you seen your clients actually doing this in varying degree yes i mean yeah, yeah, you know cool, it's cool. one of the things that's really hard is that uh brand work in b2b is one of those things that often goes forgot i mean we've talked about this on yep. this show before that, yep. it, that it, it 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 can be a forgotten art yeah. uh, of yeah. the B2B marketing because we get so myopic around lead gen, lead gen, lead gen, and lead nurturing, yeah. lead nurturing, lead nurturing, yeah. which I call demand identification, not demand generation. And so, um, you know, it, it becomes very, very uh, incumbent on us as B2B marketers, especially if we're in a disruptive industry or something where you're trying to change the way that people do things full stop. Mm-hmm that you introduce them to that, right? That there is a, that you're constantly widening the top of the funnel as much as you can, because at yeah. some point you're going to just, you're just going to run out, right? You know, yeah, yeah. I, I always, I always use the metaphor, right? You walk into a theater full of people and you go, how many of you need soup? And, and you get a few <laughs> people that raise their hand, but few people that don't. And then you go back yeah. in a few minutes later and you go, how many of you want soup? And maybe a couple <laughs> of more raise their hand and a couple of more don't. And then you walk in and finally you go, how many of you want soup? And nobody raises their hand because you've asked everybody if they need soup in this moment and they just don't. And what you need is an effort to walk in and make soup really attractive. Like you need to go in and go, hey, by the way, you're not going to eat for 10 hours. Anybody want soup now? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's a great story. And also, I'd love to come back to that demand identification versus demand generation. But this whole topic for me and uh, is is fascinating i'd love to crack open another couple of these vespers and keep chatting but we're out of time so um where can people find this kind of gritty insight (laughs) (laughs) i think it's gritty. i think it's insightful. well this gripping insight uh, (laughs) will be delivered to you uh in our wonderful uh in our in our in our wonderful website which is contentadvisory.net mm-hmm. and in in many ways through our wonderful experience advisors community yes. which um is always fun because we have a newsletter that goes out that talks mm-hmm. about and links to these things as we publish them you do indeed and where can people spin the when people spin the dial on the internet where they're going to find you 
They're going to find me on LinkedIn mostly um, uh-huh. and would love to connect with each and everybody out there in the audience. And yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter's like, meh, who cares? <laughs> and most important for me, will you be in the bar next week watching me fuck up my show again? I will. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> indeed. indeed. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. As you heard, Robert has written more on that topic and I'll include a link to that work in the show notes. (laughs) So that's a wrap on episode 167, the Rockstar CMO Epping Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Sarah and Robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Please let us know what you think. Many of you have been so kind in your reviews we have coming through on Apple Podcasts. Or you can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com. Catch us on the socials. We have Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, everyone will be back. Jeff will be in the studio. I'll be the one answering the questions. So we chat about content marketing. Sarah returns to dive deeper into that CMS wire report. And Robert will be back in the bar. Until then... Have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO F. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.